Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast. Today, I'm joined by Clint Grauman. He's the CEO of NewView. Clint, how are you doing today? Good, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So I know I always say that this at every start of a podcast and I'm excited to speak to the person. But in this case, I have to admit, I am really, really intrigued, curious, and I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot of things because we're actually going to be talking about LIDAR from space and a commercial offering. And so before we get into it, maybe introduce yourself and your background. I know we have some mutual acquaintances. I know when I was traveling, maybe a year and a half ago, someone mentioned to me, hey, there's this company out there that's looking at LIDAR from space. And of course, many listeners are probably laughing, going like, oh, you can't do LIDAR from space. Otherwise, the footprint's so big, it's meaningless, et cetera. And I'm sure we will educate uh, the listeners as well as my myself. But I heard about this and I was like, hmm, interesting, something in stealth mode. Um, but before we get into that, I know you're working with Blackbridge back in the day. And again, this is not going that far back. Um, you've worked with Agrin, you've worked with Terametric before you got to NewView, but maybe share your journey and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Um, so again, uh, thanks for for having me on the, the podcast. And our, our journey actually begins even just a little bit further back than that. The real, um, I think, beginning of how everything led to NewView began with a company called RapidEye, which was a predecessor to uh, Blackbridge. So Blackbridge was based out of Lethbridge, Alberta, um, and purchased us. Um, we at RapidEye were the first commercial small sat constellation, um, electro-optical, um, five bands, image anywhere on earth, any day kind of approach. Um, and that really led my views on what valuable data sets exist out in the world. Um, and from my perspective, one of the most valuable data sets is one that's consistent at a global scale and provides a foundation on which all other geospatial data can be built as foundational geospatial intelligence. Um, so yeah, we we went through that um, that path of really setting a strong foundation in wide area coverage. Um, and then, as you mentioned, we were purchased by Blackbridge, and then we were purchased by Planet Labs. Um, I took a little bit of a left turn um, and worked in uh, agricultural software, but it's not as much of a, of a left turn as what you what you think because it was geospatial in nature. It incorporated a lot of satellite imagery, and it was really taking the geospatial data to the grassroots effort, uh, no pun intended, to, to the ground and to the end user. And I think that was just a huge um, shaper of my views on how valuable data can be in the user's hands. And then um, Terametric uh, was an outgrowth of all of that experience, knowing that we could bring something to the table um, that uh, would help earth observation companies in the startup arena really set a strong foundation for their business. And so we did a lot of consulting work um, on uh, synthetic aperture radar, on optical, thermal, hyperspectral, the whole whole gamut. Um, and one thing I continuously heard across every market and every set of end users is if we could get some LiDAR data to go with our, and insert your phenomenology here, like everything would be better. And, you know, after years of hearing that, like we finally put together the the, the pieces that this is something that the world wants and needs. And so out of that new view was born. 
Amazing, amazing. And and I think schooling was at Oklahoma State University. <laughs> and so was 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 that connected? Like you, you study like Earth observation or satellites, or or was there an interesting uh, life journey or a pivot earlier on that that got you on this amazing amazing career? By the looks of it. Yeah, I had some great uh, coursework in um, geography and geology and, and all of the sciences that go around that. But it really was pivotal, pivotal um, in the business acumen that I think I have and the grit and determination that you have as an entrepreneur. Like, that's the one intangible I, I know from all Oklahomans. And they're actually kind of like Albertans in that they're just like really just hardcore, hard work ethic, get it done no matter what attitude. But my real schooling in earth observation came when I joined uh, RapidEye 15 years ago. And it was really straight into the crucible and trial by fire. Um, and I think from that, it's really shaped everything in, in how I approach the business. Amazing, amazing. And so as we look forward, um, you have a new team now at New View. Were these, and, and I've looked at the website, there's a lot of, uh, we'll say, I don't know, high powered is the right uh, word, but a lot of uh, notable folks that are that are working at New View. Were these people that you knew beforehand or or were, was this a bit of that relationship building over the years, 15 years um, journey that you just kind of met these people and it, it made sense to come together? Yeah, it, um, so it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, for 15 years, you know, having worked in all these different phenomenologies, you know, we have, um, as you mentioned, incredibly high-powered people on the team that have worked in very influential positions uh, from stakeholders in government who were in charge of procuring this type of geospatial data for U.S. government, um, scientists who worked for the U.S. government in the Air Force Research Lab that were uh, basically the chief of the Air Force Research Lab that were, was in charge of building and designing these instruments for the U.S. Air Force. Um, and then in addition, all of the experts um, and capabilities along the way, especially early days, um, you know, I've been able to draw from from 15 years of doing it in the trenches, basically, and, and making it happen. And then, though, but once we started New View and, and once we came out of stealth mode, the number of people that want to work for a company that's the first to do something like the first of anything is just truly compelling. And, you know, what I found is that the engineering team that we've put together is just really um, an A team of people that want to tackle the world's biggest problem in earth observation um, and be the first to do it. Amazing. Amazing. And if my, my research is correct, you know, new view venture back, you guys did a raise recently, um and and obviously have great growth trajectory i think there's a lot of opportunities uh as you mentioned stakeholders or even prospective clients that have already signed board uh signed on board as as excitement but i suspect our our listeners or the audience are probably some are techie even though it's the digital force right. of them use airborne lidar or linear mode lidar and many of them have uh followed the the ice apps and the the Jedi's, the, the 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 government or the public funded um, satellite ones, and they're probably maybe thinking, this is not physically possible to do maybe high precision mapping, if that's the right term. But can you introduce us to to the nature of this new lidar product that you're trying to bring to the market as a commercial offering? Sure. Yeah. Um, so again, wide area coverage is the basis of everything that we do, um, but we've got some pretty compelling um, IP that's that we've developed internally on the ability to do some 
high intensity imaging. So I won't go into the exact hows of it, but I think I, I can explain it enough on the air that um, people will get it. Um, so you've basically got an equation um, that involves um, four different variables that I think are pretty meaningful. One, do you have a powerful enough laser to take care of the atmospheric attenuation? Um, and the answer on that one is yes. Um, I think we'll be one of the most powerful lasers that's ever been put in space, but yet we're at an altitude where it's still safe, even I safe um, to be able to, to run it from space. Um, the second part of that is um, the size of your aperture and how much light you can collect. And that's a problem that is also, it's an, it's an engineering problem. It's not a physics problem. Um, and so we've had some great backing uh, to be able to accomplish that specific piece um, to do that. The other part of the equation is power. How much power can we supply to the bus? Um, because a hot laser um, requires a lot of power. And I would say five years ago, there weren't many small or commercial small sat bus manufacturers that could hit that type of power. Um, but over the last few years, we've seen it become commercially feasible. And so it wasn't, again, uh, an engineering question or a physics problem. It was commercial feasibility. Could we build a small sat um, powerful enough to power that? Um, and then there's altitude on top of that. Can we get to the right altitude that's nominal for being able to tackle um, laser power, um, the power that the bus is able to create um, and then sustain from that altitude the right level of um, observation. And then the, there's a fourth part of the equation, which is highly, um, uh, I guess, appropriated to our internal capabilities in that we do something that's akin to a staring spotlight mode in a synthetic aperture radar satellite. Um, uh, in that, when we try to increase the intensity, our satellite will have a more than one way to be able to stare at an object for long periods of time. So if you think about foundational geospatial intelligence, it's mowing the grass, right? It's just covering the planet at a specific foundational level. But when something's really important, let's say that we wanted to get really intense um, opportunities for foliage penetration, or we wanted to be able to um, understand an object in 3D with high fidelity, um, staring um, and our proprietary steering approaches are really what get us there. Very cool. Very cool. So thinking of maybe in a, a forestry context, you know, a lot of people are used to um, airborne linear mode or single photon or Geiger mode. Um, is your product going to be able to rival those types of uh, point densities that, that, that folks are used to? Because I know you're, you're targeting USGS, uh, what is it, quality level two as, as meeting that? Right. So uh, maybe what can you say about that is when people they're talking about this, they're always thinking of like postings or, or, you know, number of points for per square meter. Like how can we, how can you connect the dots for, for our listeners on that front? Yeah. Our goal is to create a global digital elevation model um, that's derived from a standard of what's equivalent to quality level two data from, from USGS. Um, and we want to have the world's gold standard for digital elevation models. And for us, that means we want to be able to hit a couple of points per square meter. We want spatial resolution that's sub one meter. Um, and we want the best vertical accuracy that you can get from space um, in a real measurement. And so quality level two is where we found that's the, the end result of all of those other pieces of the equation that I uh, mentioned earlier. And quality level two is when we're push brooming the world. So again, when we're just mowing the grass and we're collecting data, we're collecting at that quality level two standard. 
um, or will be, sorry, will be collecting at the quality level two standard. But as you image again and again, with the ability to revisit over and over with a, with 20 satellites, you start to build up these layers of points and then you can create um, 3D change detection. You get more points over the same forested area. So you've got more opportunities for light to hit the ground through the canopy of trees. Um, and if you think over time, we don't have to wait three or five or 10 years to come back and revisit the area with an aircraft or with, with Jedi or, or ISAT 2. We've got four opportunities per day in most parts of the world to be able to hit the exact same area over and over again. So you think about that. If we were to utilize our full resources of hitting it four times per day, and if we were to hit it with um, multiple revisits for an extended period of time, you can imagine the benefit that can come from that. So even if you don't get a super high fidelity collection on the first try, over time, you've built up these layers and the layers are what matter. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. And, and truthfully, a bit uh, mind blowing as you're describing that, <laughs> that, that, that revisit period and just kind of pulling data um, together. That, that's absolutely uh, amazing. And, and so thinking of that journey, um, I, I just finished watching Star Trek Discovery on Crave. <laughs> I came across this, this reference online of Mr. Spock. And so what can you tell me about Mr. Spock? And then maybe where, uh, what the readiness of the, the constellation is today? Yeah, so um, Mr. Spock is our space proof of concept. Um, that's where the, the name comes from. And um, really what we're wanting to do is get Mr. Spock up there, demonstrate the capabilities. But there's a second piece of that equation. Um, one of the things that I've learned after advising um, Earth observation startups for, for quite some time, one of the things that's most heavily neglected is the ground segment of once you've collected data, Earth observation data, piping it to the ground, processing it and getting it to a product um, that can be in the hands of the end user quickly, efficiently, and at scale. Most companies don't really put a solution in place until they've um, gotten pretty close to launch. And what that means is you have tons of things that, that aren't ready on the ground and with software. And so Mr. Spock is also about um, two things. One is um, we've had quite a few customers sign on early with us to get access to that data with Mr. Spock. Um, and what that does is it allows them an opportunity to have access to data before anyone else, but it also allows us the ability to run data through the system and build the pipeline to a highly functioning level so that when we have all of our constellation going up, we don't have this big gap between launch and commercial, fully commercial operations. Um, we want to be able to turn on the spigot of data just as soon as we're, um, we're viable. And that means you gotta have the data pipeline, you gotta have customer input um, and not be building things in a vacuum. Yeah, and I, and, and, and I assume you're drawing maybe a lot of experiences from the Blackbridge days, because I remember uh, we were at one point you know, working with Blackbridge and one of the key things was building a, a receiving station in the high north just to, to address that. So I suspect you're, you're drawing from all these experiences from your, your previous journeys and, and pulling them to, together. So I guess looking forward is, are there any forestry folks or any verticals that, that surprise have surprised you in terms of uh, jumping on board with, with interest? Cause this, this really is a game changer, um, you know, being able to do LIDAR uh, from space. And as you said, you know, that global coverage that, you know, revisited multiple times and then just having a current, um, you know, DTM all the time. Like this is truthfully, as I said, mind blowing. Um, but as you've gone through this entrepreneurial journey with this one, are there any interesting verticals that kind of came up or are they largely lining up with 
with your 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 vision and your and your mission and your your targets or OKRs or whatever. Anything interesting that's kind of come out uh, beyond the usual players and suspects? You know, um, there hasn't been a surprise in use cases. You know, I think one of the unique things about how NuView was formed is that many Earth observation companies start with um, a founder who is an engineer that comes out of a highly technical um, position, but hasn't had a ton of time in the market to really work with end users. And so what you get many times is you build a great sensor or a cool sensor, um, and then you try to go figure out the market on what the market does around it um, and how they would consume it. We've had the benefit of having worked directly with end users for 15 years in agriculture, in forestry, in defense, in um, geology and oil and gas and like every vertical market. And so it's not surprised me that all of these different vertical markets want our data. What has surprised me is how much they want our data um, that we're producing. Like the demand, um, we had a pretty good indicator what the demand was going to be. But when we um, went through our preliminary design review of our system with um, two um, very prominent stakeholders that I won't mention their name on the air, um, U.S. government stakeholders um, that uh, really want to, to see the success of a sensor like this. Um, they helped us with our preliminary design review. So they wanted to make sure that this is the real deal. Once we got through that, we signed agreements with 100% of all the customers that we had approached prior to our preliminary design review. Um, and that total came to $1.2 billion in early adopter agreements. Um, and that signaled to us that not only was our um, estimate strong of the vertical markets that won our data, but the volume of data that they want to consume is much higher than we ever expected. And so that was a really great surprise. Yeah, that, yeah, crazy numbers are amazing, amazing to, amazing to hear. So I guess maybe I'm curious to pick your brain a little bit as an entrepreneur, having gone through different companies and and doing new view. Uh, some of our digital forcers are entrepreneurs themselves, and I'm just wondering, uh, as as I as we just touched on, you know, new views VC back, so you're on a rocket ship and. Uh, there's folks pushing you hard, right, to to, right. to deliver, and and that's part of being VC back. Um, but for maybe some of our forcers who are are trying to be entrepreneurs, are there certain things based on your career, maybe geared towards our technical digital forcers? Are there any things that that you've seen in forestry and your experience with lidar that that you think would be you you'd have a different story beyond hey, I'm going to provide you a three dimensional point cloud you know, with a meter spatial resolution and hey, you mm -hmm. tell me how many points you want because I'm just going to revisit this this area multiple times until I get to where we need to be. But are there any use cases in in that and that you've that you've seen that that maybe our listeners may not have even thought about? Well, I can tell you that that I don't have any original ideas on forestry. I mean, the, the forestry community is incredibly tight knit. Um, they know and understand the work that they do better than, than any one of us possibly could. But what I continuously hear um, from those in the forestry um, market, whether that's on the commercial side or whether it's on the government side um, or whether it's on the NGO side um, is that everyone has a desire um, to preserve our natural resources um, or manage them in a in a in a way that represents them as a good steward of the resources that they manage. Um, but I think that the single biggest thing that I hear is 
Clint, we don't understand how much we actually have, meaning how much in forestry, in resources, how much carbon we've preserved. Um, and I think the the number one signal that I get from that market is that, you know, with earth observation data, whether it's optical or radar um, that exists today, you're doing a lot of estimation, right? You're looking at canopy, you're trying to make some, you know, you, you do a few bits of ground control to, to really understand or ground truthing to understand small parts, and then you extrapolate across a bigger picture. And with LIDAR, you move from estimating to accounting, right? Because you can suddenly get, um, you know, canopy penetration. You can understand with precision the height of a tree. You can understand the width of the crown or the body of a tree. Um, and now we can suddenly get into a case where we understand the volume of carbon and biomass that's represented in the area better than we ever could before. And I think if you take that core fundamental principle and you apply it to the commercial world where we need to understand you know, our, our stock and stand count, if you apply it to the preservation world and NGOs that just want to make sure we preserve our natural resources and so on, all of these things kind of have the same principle. We need to understand what's actually there and account for it um, and move beyond estimation. For sure, for sure. And for our, our audience, I'm intentionally not trying to ask technical questions, you know, in the weeds that most people know uh, I could just because given the work you're doing, you know, that's that's proprietary and you and I don't want to put us off offline on that sense. Um, one thing that I know people often talk about is this whole and you've heard it back in the early days, you know, the whole data fusion side of things. And in forestry, you know, great, we've got structural signatures from LIDAR, um, but that species component. Um, what does data fusion mean to, to NewView? What can you share about that? Are there plans to, to you know, mix that that multispectral, hyperspectral, you know, where you came from on the, the, the EO side with some of this active remote sensing work uh, you're doing? Could you see a future where something like that exists? Oh, 100%. Um, we are a company that is, there, there are two ways I like to think about our company when we're talking to both partners and to investors and, to, and probably less so with end users of the data, but we like to think of ourselves um, commercially as a partner first strategy, which means we, we truly believe in a rising tide lifts all boats. And when that comes to data fusion, I think you only pigeonhole yourself into or paint yourself into a corner if you try to create a walled garden where you're not working with anyone else and you think your solution is the end all beat all and the silver bullet. Like, I think we're going to, to create more market than we consume. Meaning I think the market gets so much bigger because of, of what we're able to produce. That's a, a unique data set um, that it's not going to cannibalize the size of the market that's out there. Although we will, you know, uh, probably take a, a certain meaningful percentage of it. But I think we're going to replace things that were not good enough solutions, but it's the only solution that was available. So I can see it's working really tightly with the guys that, that run the constellations and synthetic, synthetic aperture radar. I can see it's working really closely with hyperspectral and thermal and traditional multispectral. Um, so I would welcome all partners there. So that's, that's the first part is that I see us as a partner first company. Um, but partner first company leads into the next part um, as well, which is, you know, I really see us um, as a machine to machine or um, API driven company where we're going to have a great solution where, you know, we're really far along in a platform in a, in a you know, user interface for people to access data, um, whether that's ours or multimodal um, data. 
But the real value, I think, comes into when we play well with others um, and we start to connect in and we, we allow the connection of, of our archive and data sets into their archive and data sets. And that flows back and forth because um, when you think about, um, you know, the, the, the term that you brought up there with data fusion, it's important to remember data fusion is a process. It's not a product. And like every single use case is going to require or um, desire a different type of data fusion, whether that's optical and um, LIDAR, whether it's thermal and LIDAR or SAR and LIDAR, um, or maybe it doesn't include LIDAR at all. But data fusion is about solving the problem for the end user, um, not just simply dominating the market. For sure, for sure. So what I what I heard is UV is going to focus on um, you know, the hardware, the constellation collecting data, it's not, you know, a priority to build all these, uh, you know, uh, other services beyond data, let partners do that and and work together. Very, very cool. Uh, so if the average Joe Forster was listening to this, because guaranteed, I, I, I suspect this will uh, maybe blow some of our statistics on this podcast because it's so novel, which is a good thing, by the way. <laughs> Um, but a force is probably going to go like, oh, okay, this is amazing. Or they're going to say, I don't believe this. This is smoke and mirrors. Um, it's always an extreme with forcers. I think it's, uh, <laughs> we need them in the middle, but having said that, yeah. um, what can we, what can you share about the average Joe getting access to data and then, and then following on from that, is this, are the costs, the economics just really geared towards a geoint or or large companies like what can you share on that front or is it too early in the sense like we're not sure how we would you know onboard a, a million acre company or a small 20,000 acre private woodlot what can you share on that front yeah so it's it's really clear to us that as as I kind of build on my last statement that we're a partner first strategy. Um, so we have already a network that we've been building. We've just not announced it publicly of partners around the world that specialize in certain areas. We even have one that's super specialized in forestry. Um, and so what I would suggest is that for those that wish to learn more at this point, they can reach out to us directly and then, you know, we'll be happy to have a discussion, but then we'll probably um, collaborate with our partner that specializes in that vertical market to make sure that there's a pathway to access to data. Um, and what we're trying to do is create a scale that doesn't you know, make LiDAR data unreachable and unmanageable for the average user. We want to bring enough scale to the market that it brings LiDAR within reach um, to any user that wants to use LiDAR. We don't wanna price anyone out of the market. Uh, we don't want to um, make something inaccessible. So. We will connect with partners. Partners work with end users, um, but an earth observation company rarely has the capability and scale to work with each individual user of the data in a very meaningful way. So we want, and we also know we can't be experts in every single vertical market. So we'll have in-house teams in every, in forestry and agriculture and all of these pieces, but it's not with the intent to bypass our partners in the market. It's the intent to enable our partners in the market to serve end users. Yeah, for sure. Very, very cool. And, and so thinking of, of, of that and, and, and going forward, um, again, we'll, we'll, well, when we wrap up, we'll, we'll exchange some contact information there. But as we, as we look forward, you know, NewView is presenting the art of the possible, if I, if that's the right word. Um, if we think broader terms in technology, again, you've been at this for, as you said, 15, 20 years with some 
you know, very well-known organizations and, and uh, have a lot of experience, or you also have a lot of arrows in your back, depending uh, <laughs> what it is, right? Um, right. But thinking of, thinking of uh, that and, and that, that journey, I'm just curious, what gets you excited looking beyond maybe, you know, the, 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 the mission you're on right now? Are there certain technologies that, that have come about that now you're the, the hamster wheels, if you will, are going even faster going like, Oh God, like if we can finish this part of, of the new mission, there's these other things we can do. Are there certain other things that get you uber excited uh, uh, looking into the future of technology or even earth observation <laughs> in general, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Earth observation is really where my heart is. Um, but I also have this this piece of me that is um, extremely biased towards um, deeper space exploration as well. Um, and as we as a species start to move past living on this one planet, there's a lot that we need to know about other planets um, and other bodies that we, we approach um, as a species, whether that's colonization, whether that's exploration, but one thing's for sure, um, we're not going to stop exploring as a species. We're not going to stop needing to understand the place we inhabit. But one thing is also for sure, humans irreversibly change everything they touch. And what I want to do is continue to create a record of how things are wherever we go um, so that we have um, an archive to understand how things have changed over time. Because if we can, if we can break things, we can fix things, right? And and I want to help put our species on a path to be able to understand every world, every body that we approach um, so that we can replenish and replace anything that we, we touch. So many questions popped to mind that I want to, that I want to get. So yeah. one, one I'll ask is, hey, you know, we, uh, you know, some might say like, hey, as human species, we touch thing and and you're careful and like, are we positively touching something or negatively touching something? And and yet there's probably a, a technologist argument there that, yes, there's so much innovation that we can still bring to mankind and Earth that it's not all doomsday um, scenario. But thinking of that, is that something that as you're looking for, let's say, fundraising and stuff, was that was that key in the partners you're looking for to work with that shared that? that longer range view and, and really where I'm going that is, have you met Leonardo DiCaprio? Because I believe <laughs> one of your investors, what can you share on that front in terms of that bigger picture story of, of species and exploration and the people that you've partnered or, or, or put around you to, to put you on that path? Um, you know, we've met many and all of our investors um, I think is the best way to put that. And we understand what their, um, needs are. We also understand what their interests are. Um, and I would say that I can't imagine us taking on an investor or a partner of any kind that didn't align with what we want to achieve as a citizen of the planet um, and that has the best interests of the planet in mind. Um, and so I think when you look at, at how we are going forward, um, again, We've met all of our investors, um, and I think we're well aligned in where we're going on everything. But I would say, um, you know, moving out to further planets um, and other heavenly bodies and, and taking that the next step, I think investors all love that. But it's certainly not a requirement of our partners to have that same ambition. We're in the business of solving customer needs and helping them solve their needs and their problems in, in new ways or their challenges. 
Um, so for me, the most important thing is, are we helping them solve their problems um, more than anything else? For sure, for sure. Now, looking at my my notes here and questions, I know there's one that that got popped up, and uh, and I'll ask it. Uh, although you'll probably chuckle because you've probably uh, answered this 27 million times or some obscene number. But um, is New View technology going to replace everything we know about airborne, terrestrial, handheld, light? like all things ladder can just go away? New View is going to uh, crush it. I, I hope not. Like I, I hope it doesn't replace everything. Um, you know, I, that for me, that would be like saying we're going to replace all spoons with knives. Like, I don't think that's what you do. Like, all of these tools are very special in their use case and what problems they solve. And so I imagine that we're going to be working with, um, for example, it may not make sense for um, an aerial or UAV LIDAR organization to image an entire state. It may make sense for them to image the high density urban areas um, or areas where we need super high density, um, you know, point cloud, and then we take care of the broad area. And so I would imagine a world where we cooperate to provide the best solution possible for the stakeholders that are interested in having data over that area. So if it were um, a province in, in Canada, I can imagine that we would cooperate to where we do the wide area. Another group does the high point density areas over cities and uh, in urban areas. You know, forestry gets the data set delivered the way that they want to, agriculture the way that they want to. Um, and then something else we bring that's special to the table is the, the revisit, you know, so we can make decisions throughout the year, throughout the season in real time. So I hope we don't replace all of those. I hope we make, like, I actually think we're gonna grow the market for LiDAR data by about 30X. Um, like the entire market. And so my mission is to grow the market, not to push anyone out of the market. Mm. Food for thought, food for thought. And, and and truthfully, you know, if we put it in a forestry context, back in the early days of 2000, when, um, you know, we had aircraft that were flying profiles, and if we got, you know, a pulse per square meter was hallelujah, we're, we're high density. And, and this is the CSVs on CDs, and we're probably going to mm -hmm. hit ourselves because some listeners will be like, heck is a dvd it's like how do you use that for data transfer but but that was the norm but one of the threads was there were researchers uh, from the pacific forestry center up here in canada that were always looking at this transect and then using you know a high density approach and then scaling out using that data and i wonder as we go forward whether this is simply changing how we're using some of our existing technologies whether for calibration validation work or 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 something of that uh, nature. But do you see that as a trend maybe, or what trends do you see now that you're introducing this, again, commercial offering at the space level, um, planetary coverage, high revisit times? Um, are you are you seeing a, a change in the discourse between how people have traditionally done it and, and really thinking how they could leverage this new view technology and data as a game changer? Yeah, um, I think that's 100% happening. Um, you know, I think the the first response you get with any first of anything is um, either it can't be done or um, shouldn't be done or something like that. But um, again, another case where I wouldn't name the group, um, but I was with a group of about 100 experts in this field, specifically in, in LIDAR on instrumentation um, a couple of weeks ago. And they said for the last... I think it was the last three months, we have had more questions about how NewView can affect what we do than any other subject we've talked about. And so they decided to invite NewView to do a briefing 
<laughs> because they got tired of fielding all the questions, right? And this was a hundred of the most prominent scientists in LIDAR um, in this meeting. And so for me, I think that's the clearest signal is that people are starting to look like, what could I do if I had data every day? Um, what could I do if I had data every month or every week? Instead of, okay, we have to be satisfied with data once every five years. What can we do with every five years? People have switched to saying, making the best of what we have to what if we had this, how much more could we achieve? And that's the that's the biggest pivot I've seen. Yeah, amazing. And, and I'm dying to know with 100 brilliant minds, how did that day look like yoga at six in the morning with your espresso? Or was it just hardcore meetings, questions, rapid fire, go, go, go? Is it the most exhausting day of your life? Or or you didn't have to do it. One of your, your technical leads uh, did a mind meld with somebody else. Oh, you're going to love this. It was more like walking into a surprise birthday party. Like I didn't know I was meeting with the whole group and I I was invited to come in and talk and only a couple, I might be wrong on the time frame of minutes or hours or whatever it was before the meeting started. Did I realize like this was a Zoom meeting where I was presenting to a group of people, most of them in person, a bunch of them online. Like I had no idea it was, it was this scale. And so I walked into it and it was more like, surprise, here's a hundred people. Um, but I think it really, it helped because it, it was a more authentic meeting where we got to discuss um, a lot of really cool things and and get through the future of, of what's possible. Um, whereas if I'd had weeks to think about what am I going to present to the, the 100 most knowledgeable scientists in this area, I might have, uh, I don't know, I might have approached it a different way, but I think it came out in the most authentic way possible. Right, right. Might, might have made you think twice about showing up. To that. <laughs> right. uh, should I be the one going to this with all these these brains in the room? Oh, that's yeah. great. Good times, good times. So looking forward, I guess, um, what does artificial intelligence mean to you? And and as you're saying, you know, species, extraplanetary exploration, obviously, I'm assuming you view technology can play a pivotal role in that, because if you can image this planet, then surely you can do it elsewhere. And, 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 and you need to know what things look like or the topography of those other places. Um, mm -hmm. But as you think about AI, because it's so it, with, you know, generative AI in the press all the time, like every day there's something new from OpenAI and ChatGPT or or any other uh, AI technology. What does that mean for NewView? Does it mean anything mm -hmm. or is it business as usual of we're dealing with data, we've got large volumes of data um, or maybe NewView's the fits all the pillars of big data in terms of, you know, variety of satellites you know, uh, maybe the same type of data, maybe slightly different mm -hmm. volume, but does AI, is AI something that, that keeps you up at night or, or gets you up in the morning or not so much? Um, absolutely gets me up in the morning. It's that, that caliber. Um, so one thing that, that I think I could, um, I could prove if I had to pull out the documentation is, is we were diving deep into AI and ML before it was cool, before it was cool to fundraise on that subject. Um, we, we firmly believe that of all Earth observation data sets, like it would be tough to convince me otherwise, but that all Earth observation data sets, LIDAR will be the most powerful in AI and machine learning capabilities. Because if you think about, um, you know, dealing with um, an image off of a multispectral satellite, um, or if you're dealing with, um, quote unquote, an image out of um, synthetic aperture radar, you're dealing with this, this massive view of a scene, right? Um, and there's lots to interpret and it's, and, it, and it's kind of difficult sometimes. But when you have LIDAR data, every single LIDAR point
point is a discrete value and has discrete data associated with that point um, that makes it really sharp for AI and ML understanding and capabilities. And so I think that our data will feed AI and ML partners um, and we'll have some capabilities internally as well. But if you think about any application, understanding vegetation, understanding change in three dimensions, understanding temporal change, all of these things are so precise when it comes to LIDAR data point clubs that I think there's going to be, once we bear hug this thing and get our arms around it as a, as a society, there's no data set that's going to be better for AI and ML than LIDAR data. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, just the sheer volume. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing on on that front. Um, any other technologies that as you know, the CEO of NewView talking to the digital forester community, any other technologies that you'd say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, you should keep an eye out because uh, Clint here is, is, is watching as well. Any anything cool coming down the pipe that the the average person may not be be aware of? Wow, let's see. Um, so, so your question is is uh, about lidar, or is it about forestry, or anything in general? Tech is there something else out there that that that's coming that we may not uh, have uh, privy to or or be aware of because you get to see it from a different lens and working on the bleeding edge. Yeah, so um, I am um, a huge fan of um, these large uh, language models that that we've been looking at, like Chat GPT, etc. And um, love generative AI. Um, and I think it's going to make us all um, almost superhuman in our capabilities of being efficient and scale of our of our work. Um, but rather than than say, look for this, I don't I don't think I have any unique insight into a new technology that our that our listeners on this podcast would know about. What I would say is that one thing I've become privy to is that the ability to do um, the ability for organizations to use generative AI to spoof real data, um, I think, is getting quite large. And so um, there are a lot of markets that aren't that interesting for people to spoof data. But what I would say is that's something as a group of technologists, whether you work in forestry or agriculture or, or any other field, that we need to be aware of is we need to be on the lookout for um bad actors that would use generative AI to create false or misleading data that's hard. I mean, like a deep fake that you would see of, you know, on the internet or something like that. Deep fake of earth observation data um, is something that, that we're actively thinking about. And we think all earth observation companies should be thinking about at this point. Wow, I uh, never thought of it that way because I know, you know, with kids, three girls, at one point I heard the story where you know, kids would share their social media video, someone would take it, train an AI, the AI would then call grandma and grandpa and say, hey, I need money. <laughs> and and, and yeah. it's a generative AI can answer questions back and forth from grandma and grandpa. And I was like, wow, that that's that's the next level fishing. But using your example, our, our, I've never thought of it that way that, you know, our, is a scenario where maybe a bad actor is presenting some type of data set that isn't accurate or truthful in the hope of inciting some response or maybe maybe getting someone to take action that they otherwise might not be yeah okay yep. that's scary yeah so um you know i'd say we we never meet you know we as a company never make fear-based decisions we make informed decisions 
Um, and I and I would say that to the listeners out there as well. You know, in your unique vertical market, you can't make decisions based on free. You can't avoid any data because it might be spoofed or or generated in a way that um, uh, a bad actor would use. Um, but it never hurts to be diligent to understand um, what's happening. So the good thing is for the average user, there's a world of professionals and, and you know technology leaders that are thinking about this already and, and working to head it off. Um, but I think that's the thing that that we want to be aware of is that um, you know there not everyone works um, in honest and open way. Some people have nefarious um, intentions, and we just need to be all working as a community to make sure that data is used for the right way. And you know, I I heard an accountant say one time uh, a saying that I'm going to translate over into into data. It's like the data never lies, but people lie with data. Right. And so I want to make sure that we're always good stewards of the resource that we have, um, that we're working with people that are good stewards of the resources that that they manage um, and that as partners, we can all um, affect a positive outcome. For sure. For sure. Well said. So as we look to wind down, uh, maybe one last question as, as for our audience who are saying, hey, um, when can we expect the, the new view global map, uh, one meter spatial resolution? Like how far out are we if I want to participate and, and work with your, your, your uh, partner network that's still not disclosed? Um, but how far are we out in terms of before people can start, you know, placing orders, if that's the right word, saying, hey, I'm interested yeah. in this and queue things up. Is there a time frame you can you can share at this time? Um, so we're we're not disclosing our time frame out there, and we're probably further along than most think, uh, but not as far along as as anyone would like us to be. Like we all want to move as fast as possible because we see the demand and the need. And and if I could put these things up tomorrow, um, we would. Right, we want to get there and start executing on on our orders as quickly as we can. Um, so I would say that um, we're not in the business of publishing our timeline yet. Um, but we are like all of our partners that we're working with that we're, we signed agreements with, they, they know and understand the timeline so far. Awesome. Awesome. So as we look to wind down, um, what, what, uh, if you were to give our digital forester community one piece of advice based on what you know right now, and obviously, you know, you, you touched on it, estimating versus, um, often in forestry, people say it's a wall to wall census. Like there's no more trying to fill in these gaps. It's like mm -hmm. so many points that it's essentially a wall to wall census, but obviously having worked in agriculture and forestry and knowing the space, um, what's your final recommendation as you're thinking the, to this community uh, where some are still truthfully pencil and paper, um, some mm -hmm. are further along with full enterprise geospatial systems deployed, leveraging individual tree inventories derived from LIDAR with, with like uh, satellite EO data already coming in. Um, is there one final statement, I guess, that you would share with the, the digital forester community on, on what the future could look like? Yeah, no matter what you're doing, um, no matter what you're pursuing, never accept that the status quo is good enough. Um, and keep pushing for more, push people like me for more, demand more, have you know strong requirements on you know what you want to see the market bring to be able to better solve your problems. Never settle for what's in the market today. Push for what you want to see in the market tomorrow. Perfect. Perfect. Now for folks who might want to follow up and reach out with you, is there a, a good way to reach out as a website, social email or or how can folks get a hold of new view i believe the website is 
newview.space, so N-U-V-I-E-W. But if folks want to get a hold of you, Clint, what's the best way that they can they can reach you? Yeah, my inbox tends to blow up after these podcasts. Uh, so, I, so I would like if you emailed info at newview.space, I-N-F-O at newview.space, um, and you know, outline what you'd like to visit about. And we've got resources from every part, whether it's the business side, um, sales and business development, whether it's engineering, if you want to understand more about how the, you know, how the product is made and how we get where we're going. Um, all of those are fair game. Um, start with info and we'll direct it to the right people. Otherwise, I, I get an unmanageable number of, of emails after these things. I hear you. I hear you. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you, you carving out some time for this guy. I know we have a couple mutual connections and and they were key, at least for me, behind the scenes saying that you need to talk with Clint. You need to talk with Clint. But so definitely <laughs> appreciate you, you, you making the time for for this guy and the, the Digital Forester podcast and sharing your thoughts on uh, what New View is doing and where it's going. It's it's amazing. I look forward to to seeing uh, New View unfold and, and execute on its uh, mission. And thanks so much for your time and, and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Kevin. It was a pleasure.